Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Hi, and welcome back to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D, and I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. And today, I'm really grateful because Julia Wench, the founder of the Authenticity Guide, uh, is here with me today um, to share more of her story um, about what she does uh, and um, about some exciting things she has in the works. And uh, for background, um, Julia is actually also a Duke University Fuqua School of Business alum. Uh, crowd frequent, and um, I'm really excited to have her here with me. So, Julia, uh, thanks so much for joining me uh, and for coming on the MBA Insider Podcast. And I know there's a lot of things we want to talk about, but maybe just to start, uh, what I love to ask, you know, all alum who come on this podcast, you know, what did you do before business school? And, you know, initially, you know, what was your motivation to go to business school in the first place? Yeah, First of all, Al, thank you so much for having me on MBA Insider. I think there's such a need for resources like this for uh, prospective MBA students, current MBA students, and alums. I definitely didn't feel like there was enough of this when I needed it. And so first of all, just wanted to thank you for this and for having me on. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, um, before business school, I was a, in undergrad, I was an economics major and I minored in gender studies. And uh, after school, I graduated in 2011. The economy wasn't great. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, but I took the first job I was offered, which was as a financial analyst for a large healthcare system in New York State. So I was working in corporate finance uh, for a couple of years, and then I moved on to healthcare operations. Great. And what was your motivation for going to, to business school initially? You know, what, um, you know, what prompted you to apply and, and what did you kind of see in your future? I think like a lot of people who choose to go to business school, I felt stuck and unsure what I wanted to do next. I had a lot of potential options of things that appealed to me. Um, but I wasn't really sure what the right next step was. And so I, I embarked on kind of an informational interview extravaganza, uh, is what I call it. And I, I just um, exercised the, the utmost chutzpah, which is Yiddish for audacity, and just emailed executive directors and CEOs of companies that I was interested in uh, and asked for advice. Um, and uh, one such conversation that was particularly memorable for me was uh, with Deborah Brooks of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. I had a I had a hunch that I wanted to go into social impact and into the foundation world. And she had an MBA from Tuck from Dartmouth, and she she took my call, uh, which was amazing. And that call really was what determined. Um, okay, yeah, I think business school is the right degree to pursue uh, social impact. She was super inspiring. So it was sort of a catch-all for, okay, let me go get an MBA because I think that could check a lot of potential boxes, right? The social impact angle. If I want to go back to healthcare, that's an angle. If I want to do something else altogether, it will still apply. Um, and I just needed to press pause on a career that I was not fulfilled by. 
I think that's a great uh, a great activity to do and to spend time on it. Clearly, it it worked out. So uh, good for you. And so uh, fast forward, uh, you navigate the admissions process. You get into Fuqua. You're there. Uh, Fuqua is a phenomenal school. A lot of really smart people. A really great environment. But that can also be overwhelming. I know because it was for me in certain respects my MBA program. And I've talked to hundreds of MBA students, and I know many of them feel very similar. And so I would love, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about what it's like to manage and thrive um, in an environment when you're surrounded by uh, really smart people? Um, You know, what is that? What is that like? Yeah, it's really hard. And I appreciate you naming that. Uh, I think it's hard even for the smartest and most extroverted of people. Uh, And so coming into business school, every business school is different, but usually there's some sort of orientation and you sort of walk in and it's kind of the most diverse group of people you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, And, you know, Fuqua does this really big orientation where you break off into your sections and there's, it basically feels like color war at summer camp, which was not something I ever did. Uh, And it was, you know, cheering and, and you know, handstand competitions and, and loyalty to an arbitrary group of people. And that was very uncomfortable for me. Um, and I, I remember coming home that first week and saying to my boyfriend at the time, now husband, like, I, I think I made the wrong decision. <laughs> like, I, can't, I don't, this is really hard. I, no one is having, we're not talking, we're just doing handstands. Um, but that passed quickly. And um, then you're thrown into the academia it's hard, right? Because you're, you're thrown into competition before you really have relationships. And the way business school works is that everything is inherently graded, you know, on, on a curve. So you're, you're graded naturally in comparison to your classmates. And so even if you don't identify as a competitive person, which I certainly don't identify as a competitive person, I, you know, I'm one of these, when the, when the tide rises, all the boats rise kind of people. And so that I think can be uncomfortable. Um, it's also, it's, it's hard to find your people. Uh, and what I mean by that is people who share the same kind of ethos and values that you do. And when I talk to groups of um, business school students, I am just really transparent about the following fact. I didn't find my people first year of business school. And I think people can kind of be shocked to hear that. It's like, it's only two years. You had a, an entire year where you didn't have your people. And I was like, yeah, I had a friend or two. Um, but actually the summer between years, I identified the people who I kind of had, um, friend crushes on and I emailed them all. (laughs) And I said, I hope this isn't too forward, but you're someone that I, I really respect, enjoy, and think we have a lot in common. And I'd like to be a lot more intentional about our friendship in second year. Um, which is not something you hear a lot of people do, but I just wanted to be really intentional about the people that I liked and wanted to spend time with. And they all responded, um, in kind. And those were the people I ended up spending much of second year with. So I just think it takes time to make friends. And some of those initial friendships can seem a little bit superficial and not real. Just, just give it time and have patience and grace with yourself. I think that's a great uh, insight and also great advice. Um, I absolutely understand what you mean when you say that. And I think uh, I'm not sure what your undergraduate experience was like, but I think that is also a part of it, right? In terms of when we all go to business school, for the majority of us, particularly from the United States, um, a lot of us, our vantage point of what school is going to be is probably going to be our undergraduate experience, right? And particularly if you went somewhere where you had a really good experience, um, and I'm assuming part of that's going to be of the friendships that you made. 
Uh, and the way that you make friends in college is, is, is going to be different than how you actually do it in business school. And, you know, I think about in college too, right? It's like, you're all kind of there at the same point in your life. Business school is very different in that respect. You know, you have classmates who are, uh, have partners, you have classmates who have families, um, you have classmates who don't, you have, you know, they're, everyone's kind of coming at a different points. And I think, um, I, so I, I think there's some uh, nuances that make it more challenging, but I think what, to what you did and what I think is really great and what I encourage all people to do is that there will always be those circumstances where you just accidentally run into all the right people and you become friends and it's amazing and great. And I was fortunate that that happened to me in college. That doesn't always happen though. And so if you do want to have those relationships, there are there, there are people there, law numbers, like there's going to be great people there, but you put in the work to do it. And I mean, fact of life, all relationships take work. Uh, and, and, you know, clearly, uh, you put that in and, and that's how you were able to, or my, at least from what I could see, that was how you were able to kind of, uh, foster those relationships. Um, even if it, whatever it came, you know, midway through the summer of your, after your first year. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It was very intentional. And, you know, another word on kind of the academic piece of it. I think something that was really hard for me was that when I was visiting business schools, I sort of, I had it in my mind. I applied to five schools. They were all in the top 10. Um, Cause I was like, I'm not going to pay all this money for a school. That's not a top 10 school, whatever your philosophy is. I don't think there's a right or wrong kind of way to go about it. And that's a whole different podcast, but <laughs> because I was kind of meeting students at those schools who were just so smart, I got a lot of misinformation about what academics at business school were like. I had a lot of people saying, don't sweat it. Getting in is the hardest part. Once you're in the coursework is a breeze. Um, people said that to me at all of the schools I visited. And that was, that was patently false, right? Like I, even coming from a career in finance, I found the coursework really difficult. I found the amount of work difficult. I found the structure of how work happens difficult, right? You're, you're in these teams of people. And I, I think like many people had um, some bad experiences doing teamwork in undergrad, right? Because if you're a type A person, you tend to take on all of the work of the team. And so I was really reticent going into these group situations. And I was like, we're going to do our assignments together. Like what? But it turns out, you know, it all, it all works out because you're on a team with all type A people <laughs> who are all really smart and um, you all kind of take turns and have to develop trust. But um it's not easy. And I just want to really normalize that for people. I feel like the narrative all too often is business school was just a two year vacation. And like maybe the last few months of second year were for people who had jobs lined up, but it wasn't a vacation for me. Um, I worked really, really hard. And if you're someone who worked hard in business school, there's no shame in that. Yeah. Well, also, if you're paying 120 grand for a vacation, I mean, <laughs> doing it wrong i mean maybe maybe that's what go you to, mean, but, but go to bora bora get yeah i know <laughs> maybe not right now but at some point um yes no I, I i definitely i definitely agree with that okay so you navigate through fuqua have you know things things turn around in your second year you build some great relationships so what did you do what did you do after you graduated from fuqua and went back into the working world so I threw myself completely into the world of social impact and business school. I was so lucky that the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship uh, is at Fuqua. Um, Case, I developed some great friends who were associated with Case. Um, the kind of staff and um, faculty who work with Case were incredible. And so I uh, landed my internship in impact investing and then after graduation worked as the director of a social impact 
consulting firm that was based in New York and I was running the North Carolina uh, kind of office. <clears throat> That's great. Um, and so what was that experience like, or, you know, what did you, uh, what did you, what did you like about it? What was challenging about it? Um, you know, was it, was it what you thought it was going to be based off of when you, you know, started recruiting um, during your second or during your second year of your time in business school? It was mostly good. And it was a lot of what I expected it would be. You know, I think one of the misconceptions about social impact consulting is that it's still consulting, right? Um, you're just doing it for nonprofits and impact focused organizations that oftentimes have less money. And so therefore you're going to take a pay cut, which was very true for me. Um, you know, on paper, I kind of achieved the dream of, of a social impact kid in business school. That's what I call us, the social impact kids, right? Like the dream is sort of like land, be a director at a social impact consulting firm. Like then you check the box of being a good person and being accomplished. And that was sort of this phrase that was, um, I would say, unhealthfully permeating for me is like, how can I be a good person and be accomplished? And there's, there's ego involved in that. That's not necessarily aligned with what one's true gifts or talents might be. And so I had made it uh, at, at kind of the high point of that job. I had a team of 10 consultants reporting to me and um, there were certain aspects of it that I loved. I loved mentoring my consultants. I loved talking to my consultants about their personal and professional developments. I loved talking to them about what was hard and not going well. Um, the things that really drained me though about the work were the typical consultancy tasks, right? Like opening up that spreadsheet and uh, talking about the earned revenue long-term plan for the nonprofit and kind of all the things that on paper, having been an MBA, I should have enjoyed or loved or gotten energy out of. I, I just wasn't. Um, and so really just kind of had this aha moment that um, this thing that should have been the perfect career and was the perfect kind of intended pivot post business school actually wasn't feeding my soul the way I thought it might. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about that. What is it? What is it like? What does it feel like to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for generalizations here, what does it feel like to have that dream job or that dream career or the thing that you, you, you thought about that you really wanted, you put in all this hard work to go and get it and then to not totally feel fulfilled. Yeah. It feels tiring. Mm. Yeah. It feels exhausting. It feels, um, it feels like an ache kind of in your heart, in your body. Um, it feels like an itch that isn't being scratched. There are days when it feels like despair because the question becomes, well, if I thought this was my passion and it's not, do I even have a passion, right? Like, am I just one of these passionless people? Um, and so I think at the low points, you, you question your very value or what you can contribute. Um, and at kind of the midpoints, you say, okay, um, this is just another step on the journey and I'm just collecting more data. You know, how would I have known that I hated this unless I worked in it and I worked yeah. in it. I realized, I just, you know, and I think hate's a strong word. It just wasn't, it, wasn't, it just wasn't, it didn't make my heart sing. And if you've done work that you love, you know what makes your heart sing. Um, and I had had kind of bits and pieces of things that had made my heart sing. I kind of, I knew when I was a second year in business school and, and 
was coaching first years on careers and having authentic conversations with them about why first year was hard and supporting them and being their kind of cheerleader and coach, for lack of a better word, that made my heart sing. Yeah. Coaching my employees, yeah. not, not um, managing them, right? That's like really a different word, managing versus coaching are two very different things. Coaching my employees when I was the director at that consulting firm made my heart sing. The other stuff didn't. Yeah. And I think what's good about the, the bright side of that, or at least from my perspective, um, having also been uh, a coach, is that um, even though it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, even though it, you, is it, you had described it, was all these emotions that are pretty challenging, you're still able to un, you were still able to unpack and see the things that or listen to the things that made your heart sing, right? And, yeah. and I think that's, that is really critical, that, that ability to either, if, whether it's because you're self-aware or whether it's because you force yourself to, to think about that, I think that is, is really critical, which kind of tees up my next question. So what did you do? Like what, like what, what then, you know, like after you had this thing, it's not what you wanted. It wasn't making your heart sing. There were elements that were like, what, like talk to me about what happened next or how did you kind of move away? How did you move from that? Yeah. So I had one particularly interesting day where I was just having my check-ins with my staff and I, like you said, just had this deep awareness of what was happening in my body, which was just being totally drained, totally feeling misaligned. Um, and it happened to coincide with a point in time where the company wasn't doing too great financially. <laughs> um, and so that was draining too. Um, just, just exhausting to have that kind of existential burden as well. Um, and I, let's just kind of name privilege for what it is. I was married at that point, had a partner who was making an income. We lived in North Carolina. So, you know, our rent was not New York city rent. And so we could manage on one income. And I, and I married a supportive partner who said, you know what, if you're not happy, you're not happy. And so I quit, I quit cold Turkey without a plan B, which is the first time in my life I'd ever done that. And it, gosh, it was so terrifying and so freeing. <laughs> And I took a month off. And what I did with that month is I journaled, I wrote, I brainstormed, I talked to the people who love me and know me best. I did more informational interviewing with people who didn't know me. Uh, right. And so I think a great kind of takeaway from this and from my last informational interviewing extravaganza is when you don't know what else to do, talk to people, gather data. If you're stuck, talk to other people think about connection and how you can learn more. Um, and so at the end of that month, my company, the Authenticity Guide was born. I LLC, got my domain uh, and it was just sprinting from there. Cause it was just, you know, when something feels so right, it just, it happens so quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I would love you to, to talk about your, your company in a second, but before I do that, um, can you talk a little bit more about what was it like to leap in an entirely new direction? And so that I would love to, you know, hear just in the perspective of, you know, certainly, um, you know, in the sense of moving to entrepreneurship. So that's one element of it, but also, you know, going back to like what we talked about earlier of, I had this plan, you know, I wanted to do this thing. It was supposed to be the, um, you know, the thing that I wanted and now I'm moving, you know, away from it. Right. And and so I'm just curious, like in your in terms of your mindset, um, you know, what was, what was kind of going on and, 
in, in Julia's mind, you know, as you made that leap into this new, new thing? It was really hard. And it was hard for a couple of reasons. I think coming out of business school, there are a few kind of blessed, knighted, accepted career paths that you know very well, right? It's uh, consulting, investment banking, period, end of sentence. (laughs) And sometimes it feels like business school is a funnel to those things. And any other career feels like a failure or not impressive or um, foreign, I think. And so, and, and here's the other thing about business school. The courses that I thought were most important were known as like throwaway easy courses. So courses like management communication, negotiation. These are the courses that actually like made my heart sing and that I was just like front front of the class, like taking notes, asking questions, like, you know, just so excited. But they were known as like, oh, you know, just take negotiation and then you can, you know, drink every day. <laughs> um, but But no, like those classes were so serious. And so it was hard going from a culture where these things were kind of thrown away and seen as sort of optional when I was thinking about pursuing a career path that was centered around these things. So it was a, there was a lot of ego at play of like, is this impressive? Is this acceptable? Like, is it okay to focus on the people component of this? Cause there really wasn't much of that in business school. Um, you know, the, the part about entrepreneurship is interesting because I never self-identified as an entrepreneur when I was, when I quit and started my company, that word was never permeating for me. And I think all too often when we hear the word entrepreneur, we conjure Mark Zuckerberg's and Silicon Valley and tech app, but entrepreneurship is being your own boss. And I think that was what appealed to me the most about it was I just, ever since I had my first boss, when I worked at Aeropostal in high school, (laughs) I hated having a boss. Like I just hated it. It was just not my jam. I like to do things my way. And so entrepreneurship for me at the beginning was very much about like, I want to call the shots. I want to do what I want to do. I want to monetize it the way I want to monetize it. I want to follow my energy. I don't want to say yes to anyone because I have to. I just don't want to have a boss. Um, But this was a really hard journey mindset wise, because I had to get rid of all the preconceived ideas I had about what the word coach meant and what the career coaching was. And I, you know, I'll, I'll just say a little bit more about my family. Personally, my, my father is a physician and my mother is a psychotherapist. And so, you know, these are both individuals who um, see clients or see patients, right. In a one-on-one health and there's quite a lot of accolades that go with those things. Like there's a pretty formal education that goes along with both of those things. And so for me to say like, I'm just going to go into this totally unregulated industry because I think I have the chops for it and just take on clients and do some education, but I'm not going to med school, you know, I'm not getting another master's in in psychology. Um, I'm just going to go do this was yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments at the beginning of like, can I do this? Am I a fraud? Like, what does this mean? Is this impressive? Yeah, and as uh, an offender of someone who has chosen those blessed uh, career paths out of business school, <laughs> even undergrad for that matter, and I and I think now too, even I think it's I, I do agree, consulting, banking, and I already even argue for you can start to throw tech in there now. Yeah, for sure because of the prominence but uh but yeah no you definitely see it a lot and i think those can be really great careers for the people that want to do them and want to grow in them um but two things number one there's there's a career for everyone it's just about finding the right one for you and then i think the other thing is is that and people the i i wish this message got hammered home more but 
the first job out of business school isn't going to be your last one for about 99% of the people who go to business school. Yes. And so like, you know, to me, like part of, I would say, I would argue that um, in some respects, I mean, yes, like maybe your journey wasn't what you thought it was going to be, but I would also make an argument that perhaps it's in, in the grand scheme of your career, it was part of the plan, right? In terms of, yeah, yeah you were, you, you did something for a while and it was, there were some good things about it. There were things, some things you didn't like, and then you thought about what you want to do next and you moved on to the next thing. And perhaps there might be a point in time down the road where that may change again. And that's just how it is. Um, yeah. yeah. And like louder for the people in the back, <laughs> because I think, you know, there's this idea that when you commit to a job second year, it's like, okay, like, here's my name and blood. Here you go. Here's, this is forever. And 99% of my classmates switched jobs in the first year. So like, let's just talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you just, yeah. you try it. And if you don't like it, you leave. And, yeah. um, and that's normal and that's beautiful. And that's great. Cause how are you going to know if you hate it unless you try it and, yeah. and be open to leaving if you don't like it? It's, it's normal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So talk to me now. So now you're, you know, obviously a coach, um, you work with clients who are coming to you for help, particularly with their careers. So what are some of the common challenges that your clients face that you have to work with them on or what you are helping them with? Mm, Okay. I want to answer this question from the perspective of my potential clients. So I'm going to use the first person. Um, I feel stuck professionally and I don't know why. I don't know what my passion is. I feel like I might not have a passion. There's things I enjoy, but I'm so turned off by the word passion and terrified that I don't have one. I feel a lack of motivation or I'm having trouble making progress or holding myself accountable. Um, I am suffering from imposter syndrome at work. I just got this big promotion and I feel like I don't deserve it and I don't know how to do the job. I'm having confidence issues. I'm having some issues with colleagues. I want help with executive presence. Um, and I just need someone on my team. Um, I have a client who on our intro call said, um, I don't know if you watch the show Billions, but she said, I need a Wendy. <laughs> um, and I think that was just so accurate um, because it's, it's confidence coaching, it's strengths coaching, right? Like how can we use the data that is already there to really help you um, flourish as the beautiful already whole being that you are and have me on your team to hold you accountable, to be compassionate with you, to teach you self-love and self-compassion and for you to just evolve and thrive. Yeah, no, I I think, I think those really resonate and I can definitely see that. Um, I'm curious. I mean, there's, obviously a lot of coaches out there and clearly mm-hmm. you're, um, you're doing well because you have clients and that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious as you think about what you do, um, what do you think is kind of your unique uh, perspective or your unique kind of way of working that really uh, helps you connect with your clients or help them move forward in, in a positive way? I would say two things. My belief is that it's very difficult to advance in many of the skills and leadership traits that we say we want to until we start with radical self-love and self-compassion. And that takes 
work. So I am a coach who will lead with what is the voice in your head saying to you, what, is she, what does he or she sound like? Let's get in there. Um, so that's kind of the first one is radical self-love is a real, is a real tenant. Um, and that's, that's holistic. That's across all areas of your life. That's in your profession and your relationships. And then the second thing that makes me unique is my intense focus on connection. That's a word I use a lot. And when I use the word connection, I intentionally mean it as connection within oneself and connection with others as a tool for success. And so I'm really big on authentic networking and getting out there and talking to people and building relationships. And I'm really big on authentic connection within one's self because introspection uh, is this superpower that we all have. We just don't often take the time to really focus those muscles and be intentional and have someone guide us through that process. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, so on your website, uh, the tagline is enhancing human connection and fulfillment at life at work and in life, excuse me. So talk to me more a little bit about what that means and and how you came up with it and, and why you think that is important. So the human connection piece, uh, like I said before is everything. So I have clients who come to me who say, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know why I hate work. I don't know what it is about work that I like. I don't know what it is about a future job that I might like. So the answers to those questions are connecting with yourself and it's having a guide to help you connect with yourself. Fulfillment at work and in life speaks to that holistic piece. I, you know, I believe that, you know, fulfillment is something that's not going to just happen from work and not just going to happen from relationships, but a holistic picture of wellness. And so, you know, when I, when I kind of explain to my clients the the type of coach that I am, you kind of, I I picture this sort of spectrum where on the left end of the spectrum is a shaman who's going to take you up a mountain and, you know, smoke ayahuasca with you and have a spiritual journey with you. And then kind of on the right end, I picture this like older white man with gray hair who's going to be a hard ass and tell you that you have to accomplish your goals um, and you're going to feel like there's some potential punitive action. I'm in the middle. So I focus holistically on self-love and wellness and that's a core tenant, but I also believe in accountability and I believe in setting goals, right? I'm not a therapist. um, So I help my clients achieve their goals and help them define goals and then hold them accountable, hold their hands through accountability. And so it's not like if you don't complete your tasks the next week, there's any kind of punishment, but that's such rich data that we can learn from, right? Like why didn't these things happen? What is your insight? Let's dig deep on what the feelings were when you tried to do that task um, and why you think you're running away from it because insight is magic. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, And on that, you know, from, you know, what you've learned and, and all the work that you're doing, um, it sounds like you're funneling that because I think you're writing a book. Yeah. Um, So, so talk, so talk to me a little bit about the book and, you know, what, what you're hoping to do with it. And perhaps, um, you know, where can we find, you know, more information on it or about anything that you're, you're doing right now? Yes. My book is called Breaking Up With Should. And in in my line of work and in your line of work, Al, should can be a very dirty word. And I have found in my life and in, in the lives of my clients and people close to me, 
this word plagues people and leads them down, them down paths that often don't bring joy and fulfillment and happiness, but rather um, people perceive professional paths out of this idea of perceived impressiveness, perceived societal obligation. And I knew that this was a story that needed to be told. And, you know, the, the book is you know, partly my story of kind of chasing my shoulds, right? Starting a career in corporate finance because it was impressive and paid well. And then a top business school because it felt impressive. And then social impact consulting because I was checking the boxes of being a good person and being impressive, right? But um, it turns out that um, I got bored with my own story pretty quickly. And so embarked on a pretty large scale interview process uh, to talk to people who similarly had perceived uh, sorry, pursued paths out of perceived professional obligation uh, and then where they are now. And so I've, I've collected some just incredible gems of stories. I, I have one friend, John, who had a, um, a career uh, on the trading floor uh, on Wall Street and is now a voiceover actor. And so that's just an example of some of the stories you'll hear as you read my book about how people pursued paths, found that they were unhappy. And then really the, the kind of meat of the book is how do you pivot? How do you get unstuck? How do you break up with should? And so my vision is that people who are looking to break up with should, people who are looking to get unstuck, um, will read this book and, and have really tactical strategies and inspiration for how to turn things around. Great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so Julia, thank you so much, uh, for joining me today. Um, and you know, if we want to know more about you, where should we go? How can we find more information? Yeah. So the best place to learn more about me is my website. That's where you can also learn more about my book and pre-order it. Uh, so my website is juliawench.com. Uh, and you can just click the book tab to pre-order my book. And Al, I also wanted to offer a special deal for your listeners. And I have an online course. It's called Maximizing Your Potential at Work and in Life. And normally I price the course at $99. But for your listeners, who I already know I love, uh, they can use code MBA Insider one word, and that's actually going to take 75% off of the price. Uh, so it's going to take it from $99 to $25. Great. Well, Julia, that's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the MBA Insider podcast. And I am really excited uh, for your book to come out. And uh, thank you for sharing your story, as well as some of your own insights from uh, your own journey and all the work that you do um, with your clients. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, Al. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.